0: Cornel West, talk about what you saw Friday night. You were there at in a church, you were speaking along with others. Did you expect to see what you saw
1: outside? No, no, I knew I was going to hear a powerful sermon by my dear sister Rev. Dr. Tracy Blackman and we heard one. We heard poignant words by Professor Jelaine Smith, and I had a few things to say. It was a beautiful moment, all colors, all religious traditions—Muslims, Jews, Christians, black, white, red, indigenous peoples—and we should never downplay the vicious attack on gay brothers, lesbian sisters, bisexuals and trans folk that was part of the chanting that took place the next day. But what happened was they held us hostage in the church. We could not leave after the service, because the torch march was threatening the people who were there. And so, in that sense, I said, hmm, boy, these neo-fascists, uh, they're, they're out of control. Where where are the police? And who who would think that our dear sister Heather, my dear comrade, uh, who also was with IWW, you know, it's very important? She was an organizer. She stood with us on SAS. She paid the ultimate price, and many of us may have to pay that ultimate price.
2: Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt. I teach at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. My research interests are media theory, media archaeology, Christian politics, leftist politics, etc.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I'm Dean, a PhD
0: student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Uh, Matt told me to get some research interests last episode, so I guess I, I research religion and technology and also politics by virtue of doing this this podcast. Yeah, sick. <laughs> good,
2: good brand building
0: thanks. it's it's a slow process, but soon enough uh, it's gonna be in every store. <laughs> every big uh, store.
2: Yeah, so one of my favorite podcasts is called My Brother, My Brother and me. I've told you about this before. Uh, yeah. in their last episode, they actually had this segment where they talked about like what your trademark is.
0: <laughs>
2: and anyways, one of the uh, one of the commenters on that podcast said that his trademark was uh, wearing sunglasses and having mints. So uh, there you go. studying religion and politics is a little bit better than that.
0: <laughs> is it? I don't know. Wearing sunglasses uh, and having mints is a lot more practical, actually.
2: I mean, honestly, you could do it all if you wanted to. You could wear sunglasses, have mints, and also uh, study religion and technology. So.
0: Yeah, but it's already trademarked. so.
2: That's true. It's by somebody else. No one else can touch it. <sighs> um, Dang.
0: <laughs> just one of the challenges of being an academic. It's hard to get a good that's, trademark. That's right. Um, So <laughs> uh, we had an episode planned about violence, um, and we were just going to talk about it. Uh, But then the events at Charlottesville happened and we decided to redo the whole thing to talk about what happened there and just try to think through it as Christians on the left. Uh, So in case you didn't know or haven't heard about it, um, I don't know, because I guess you don't have access to a computer. Um, A bunch of white supremacists descended on Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend to rally around the removal of this Confederate statue And, uh, like a lot of ugly shit happened, but especially awful was when this fascist coward drove a car into a group of courageous leftists, uh, injuring a bunch of them and killing Heather Heyer, who was only 32 years old.
2: We're going to get into this in a minute, but uh, before we do, we're going to have Dead Air here where we encourage you to say a prayer um, or word in your heart in solidarity with Heather and all those who were injured fighting against white supremacy last weekend. So it was really troubling to watch uh, as Christians really seem to struggle with how to handle the situation. The usual liberal responses about violence on all sides or whatever are one thing. um, But to give one example of Christians failing this moral test, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops released an initial statement that talked about the Charlottesville events as an attack on unity. Um, And that was, I guess, obviously met with a lot of resistance on social media. But thankfully, on Sunday, after a day of prayer, they released a separate statement later on specifically naming white supremacy as the problem. So we thought we'd make an episode talking about violence and racism in that context and how Christians and the left have tried to think through exactly these kinds of situations. Amara Armstrong, our guest from a couple weeks back, put out a really important challenge on social media about all this. So we thought we'd open up the conversation with her thoughts.
3: White people, especially white Christians, who take nonviolence as their modus operandi have yet to show me how such a nonviolent claim takes seriously the violence of white supremacy and the value of black life in the face of Nazi and white supremacist terrorism. Let me be clear if some black folks want to be nonviolent in the face of white supremacist violence, I wholeheartedly support their self determination. But if other black folks want to defend themselves, And other non-black folks want to be in solidarity with that defense through Antifa and other modes of forcible resistance. The burden of proof is on white non-violent moderates to show how their versions of non-violence are consistent with their claims to value black life against the explicitly anti-black violence of Nazis and the baptism of that violence by the tepid responses of the state
0: so it's not a secret on this podcast that we're not into the non-violence thing for a variety of reasons but uh we'll get into that later on before we do though uh let's just talk about like why this particular rally happened what was going on um i don't know did you watch it kind of unfold on the internet uh matt at all like i was up late just watching it on twitter basically so trying to piece it together
2: (laughs) yeah i mean that was basically my experience too um I watched people tweet about it on Twitter, and uh, I saw some videos, and I saw lots of pictures, and I saw just lots of accounts uh, from people describing it. It was actually, I mean, I don't know, Twitter is sometimes a, a, a bad medium to get uh, news from. <laughs> but uh, watching it kind of unfold was really unnerving. Uh, the Especially the night before when the, the white supremacists were walking through the streets with torches, that was really... Yeah. Um, something to behold i guess it's such a spectacular um like approach to politics i mean like walking through a dark uh campus with torches is something um for sure right that i mean like that type of visual imagery calls back to um i don't know the kkk and other things yeah Um, and even
0: the whole aesthetics of it were um just very weird and kind of surreal like uh a bunch of people were pointing out that they're all wearing um, Donald Trump's like golf uniform, which is oh, yeah. so crazy, like, so gross, first of all, but also a, <laughs> a genuinely good symbol of white supremacy.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let's just take one moment to realize and recognize that uh, the white supremacists here have ruined polo shirts forever. Uh, yeah, basically, you Cleveland can't Vance. wear them anymore. It's over. S- sorry.
0: Yeah, it... <laughs> That's also what's just so absurd about it is uh, there's this real attempt to, to like, build an aesthetic around white supremacy now. Um, because, you know, I don't know, bedsheets aren't cool anymore. Like, people know that they're gross. So coming up with something else, it's weird to think of somebody like, I don't know, Richard Spencer, the dapper Nazi, you know, deciding to put on, yeah. um, I don't know, like, <laughs> this ugly old golf uniform that his idol wares i guess i don't know it's it's just strange to watch it all kind of form and coalesce into almost like an artistic movement which is exactly what fascism has always been
2: yeah um on that note this is kind of a funny thing uh but also kind of not um Anyways, I saw this, uh, news story on, uh, the reputable news site, AOL.com, um, (laughs) (laughs) where, uh, anyways, the headline is, uh, is great. It says, uh, Macklemore no longer has the fashy haircut that neo-Nazis seem to love. And then in in quotes, got rid of it. Uh, so shout out to Macklemore for not having a dumb haircut anymore. What's up? Um, maybe we can kind of get over that haircut in general as a cultural moment and, uh, uh, aesthetic of the alt-right, I think that's a good plan, everybody. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll, uh, uh, I'll believe Macklemore when he also says he's getting rid of his polo shirts right now. This is, <laughs> this is the easy part, getting a haircut.
2: Yeah, but has Macklemore ever really worn a polo shirt? I'm looking through pictures right now and I see no polo shirts. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let it be... Oh, nope, there's one. Just kidding. Just nice. Hey, just kidding. Uh, but it's from a thrift shop, though, so you know, yeah, probably well... okay
0: donated by fascists
2: (laughs) ex-fascists cashing in their wardrobe
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know it's it's strange looking at this phenomenon because it is exactly the the weirdest balance of extremely funny and extremely horrifying um yeah i agree just how like so stupid it is like white supremacy is the dumbest thing and like newer white supremacists younger ones are especially just stupid like it's so dumb to like go out in an army of you know citronella candles like warding away those mosquitoes and your your polo shirts and your khaki slacks and like pretending that you're you know fighting for y- your race's right to exist like that could not be a worse thing brand for like people that should stay on this planet
2: (laughs) yeah no kidding let me let me air a quick conspiracy theory and i don't know i don't know if this is a good take or not but something i've been like thinking about um so you said that they're like you know playing at fighting for their race and it makes me think of this thing i don't know richard spencer said that the whole situation was uh, like was a success and i'm trying to like think about how to interpret that because like if you look at it, it was not a success. I mean, they got their butts kicked and they got like sh- like chased out. Like, um, it didn't seem like much of a success to me at all. But I wonder, like, how much this is like like the aesthetics of this and like um, seeing it sort of performed live as like a visual event is a success insofar as that it, it shows like the power and legitimacy of a movement that is now all of a sudden there, you know? Um, yeah. Like they might have gotten chased out, and we might count this as a victory for the left in some ways, um, but I wonder how much damage this has done, just like in light of it having happened.
0: Yeah, totally. It's interesting because them getting pushed out and chased out, and you know having to deal with antifa and all that kind of stuff, it it, it helps them build the victim narrative that they need to kind of keep swelling and building that uh, movement that they have, where white people feel whatever attacked by other folks um and it's strange to how it ends up uh normalizing um white supremacy light i guess uh yeah. by virtue of the president you know saying something like uh violence on all sides there's some really fine people on both sides right um yeah and i remember there was a, immediately after all these photos were getting shared uh one of the guys um, who was identified, one of the white supremacists was like, I'm not one of those angry Nazis. Like that picture of me is not, it's really bad. Oh, it's not what yeah. I'm like. And it's like, yeah. well, then don't go to a Nazi rally. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's kind of the, the idea. And I think that's maybe why Richard Spencer is right too. It, it builds this, uh, this really awful sympathy with, uh, white supremacists as like dumb kids or like average folks who just want, want to get theirs or something.
2: On that same note, though, too, um, I think this has been a pretty radicalizing moment for a lot of people who are just, like, left-leaning liberals. Um, a lot of folks I've seen on Facebook have definitely taken a taken a fun step to the left in light of these events, too. Um, so something to think about as well, I yeah, guess. I don't know. It's, that's good. It's, yeah, I mean, I think so. It's um, It should be a radicalizing moment. Uh, you shouldn't be able to maintain... Um, I don't know, any kind of liberal both-siderism in light of this type of situation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's horrifying, though, the amount of people who can. Um, I have not seen uh, The Glimmer of Hope on my Facebook, which is mostly a cesspool of, like, I don't know... uh, I don't post there anymore because it's essentially a a magnet for like the worst of the worst. um, (laughs) Like complaining about my Facebook statuses. I don't need that in my life. (laughs) But uh, it's weird to just watch the violence on all things or the violence on all sides thing uh, just come over and over and over in these statuses um, as though it's a moral high ground Uh, or even at a meta level, like the ACLU Virginia, um, they put out a bunch of tweets about how, like, they defended the the right for all these people to get a permit oh, to march. Oh, yeah.
2: Dude, the ACLU is actually bad. Yeah, um, it's just
0: like, what the hell? Like, and then they were sharing all these uh, photos, you know, of the resistors there who were, yeah. uh, who showed up to be like, this is bad, as though that was kind of the song that they had chosen. Like, that was the moral, um you know... I don't know, energies that they wanted to associate themselves with. And it's like, well, but you put these people in danger by virtue of giving them a permit. Like, they're complicit in the death of people like Heather Hawyer, And the fact that they can't recognize that is, I don't know, really terrifying.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I think this is only, like, this is this is probably the worst, um, the worst of their sort of uh, transgressions in the light of, like, some other recent bad ones. I mean, like, they right. um, advocated on the path of Milo yiannopolis right. and stuff like that too so um it's not like this is completely out of the norm for the aclu but yeah uh, totally. this is just like the most <laughs> egregious thing
0: i mean it is literally on brand for the aclu that they're yeah, like We're willing to defend anybody whether you want to you know murder people who aren't white or uh, i don't know just be like an idiot <laughs> in front of other people like we'll be there for you
2: yeah, I know. Um, it's actually, it, it's weird, though. I, I mean, like, so the the liberals that I've seen in my social media bubbles, um, who have uh, taken a step to the left, actually haven't said anything about the ACLU, or maybe they just haven't re- even like recognized that they've done anything in, in, in with this. But maybe, uh, maybe it's a good idea to, to help make, make known that the ACLU, um, I don't know. Uh, has a both-siderism ideology, and yeah. uh, maybe that would, that would help people even move further further left in this situation.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, well, we should talk about something more encouraging, which was uh, the presence of clergy at the actual rally.
2: Yeah, um, that was nice.
0: It was really nice. There was like a bunch of pictures kind of going around of them, uh, all in their, you know, different, whatever, uh, religious costumes. And that's very cool. <laughs> uh, uh, very cool, like counter aesthetic, really. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting to watch like a group of diverse, uh, interfaith people, um, coming together in ways that represent their traditions visually, uh, to stand against, you know, uh. An army of Donald Trumps. That's like a great photo,
2: <laughs> right? I mean, they're the only one in robes there. How weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was great, to, great to see them there. It was great to see like the, the like the clergy alongside the like anti-fag guys, yeah, and no girls kidding. and non non gender binary people. I'm using guys <laughs> in sort of like gender neutral sense here, and maybe I shouldn't, but like I don't know. I'm <laughs> from the Midwest. What what can I do? Uh, suffer <laughs> suffer through my stupid. Uh, in terms of speaking. Um, (laughs) So what was, I mean, it was really interesting because, um, I don't know, the clergy and and the sort of nonviolent religious protesters that are there, you would think that maybe they'd be annoyed by the disruptive actions of Antifa and the DSA and the ISW. Or I IWW and ISO and PSL, all the leftists were there. All the good leftist boys and girls and non gender binary folks are out there <laughs> doing their thing. And you'd think that like maybe that would be like um, annoying, right? That they were there and like kind of like being rowdy uh, and defending <laughs> defending folks against uh, the Nazis, the white supremacists. But um, what is cool is that that was not the case. Um, at least right. um, Cornell West's account is really interesting. So Cornell West was there, love Cornell West. he's good he's a good guy. Uh, I saw him speak once in uh, University or Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and it was a very fun time. He's a great nice. a great speaker and a fun philosopher. Yeah, um,
0: I feel like actually uh, when I was like an undergraduate watching a video of Cornell West is the thing that made me feel like, wow, I wish that I was as like smart and articulate as this person. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know, no kidding. Uh, I love <laughs> watching videos of him. He's such a cool uh, such a cool guy. Yeah. Um, exactly. What's that what's that one documentary? The Examined Life? Is he yeah. Seen that? Yeah. There's like a, uh,
0: I own that movie. That's how uh how literally because of Cornell West, like that's how much I liked the interview. <laughs> oh nice.
2: I love that movie, it's good. Um Yeah. Anyways, there's a cool scene with him in the back of a t- like a taxi or something, like interviewing uh Astra Taylor. I think that's her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um Or being interviewed by Astra Taylor.
2: That's right. That's kinda of how I know that. <laughs> Uh, anyways, it's cool. He has, uh, he has a really wonderful way of speaking, and he's an incredibly smart person. Okay, well, uh, here's a clip of what Cornel West said um, about uh, his experience with uh, anti-Fa and the anarchists and uh, other folks who were at this uh, rally.
0: People that night who were responding to the torch march were actually attacked with swung torches, pepper spray, and lighter fluid.
1: Absolutely. You had a number of the courageous students of all colors at the University of Virginia who were protesting against the neo-fascists themselves. The neo-fascists had their own ammunition. And this is very important to keep in mind, because the police, for the most part, pulled back. Uh, The next day, for example, although the 20 of us who were standing, many of them clergy, uh, we would have been crushed like cockroaches if it were not for the anarchists and the anti-fascists who approached over 300 350 anti-fascists. We just had 20, and we sing in This Little Light of Mine. You, see, you know what I mean? So that— the, the ANTIFA,
0: the, the, meaning anti-fascists. The
1: ANTI-Fascists. And the crucial of the anarchists, because they saved our lives, actually. We would have been completely uh, crushed, and, and I'll never forget that. Meaning what? Meaning that you had the police holding back, on the one hand. So we couldn't even get arrested. We were there to get arrested. We couldn't get arrested, because the police had pulled back, and just allowing fellow citizens to go at each other, you see, and and with all of the consequences that would follow therefrom. So in in that sense, you know, I think what we're really seeing, though, Sister Amy, is uh, the American empire in decay, with the rule of big money, with massive militarism, facilitated by the scapegoating of the most vulnerable of immigrants, Muslims, Jews, Arabs, gay lesbians, trans. And and bisexuals and, and black folk, the white supremacy was so intense. I'd never seen that kind of hatred in my life. We stood there, and nine units went by and looking right in our eyes, and they cussing me out and so forth and so on. And they lucky I didn't lose my Holy Ghost, to tell you the truth, because I, I wanted to start swinging myself. I'm a Christian but not a pacifist, you know. But I held back. But the, that kind of hatred—but that is just the theater. It's big money. Is big military, and the way in which this capitalist civilization is leading us toward unbelievable darkness and bleakness. And the beautiful thing is to fight back. It was a beautiful thing to see all the people coming back. But they had more fascists than anarchists. More fascists than fight back.
2: So Cornell West is like no... Um, no stranger to showing up to protests and like getting arrested like that's kind of what makes him so cool (laughs) i think um but this account is really interesting because um the normal theater of um politics and activism like kind of didn't unfold the way he thought it would right like he said that they, they were there they were there to get arrested um but that didn't that didn't actually happen the way he thought it would. Uh, the cops yeah. were not uh, playing that role today or uh, that day in Charlottesville.
0: Right. Yeah. The The way he talks about the cops in particular, and I've heard other people who were there talk about it as well, is pretty unsettling because, um, you know, the idea is that uh, the cops weren't there to protect um, Antifa protesters or uh, clergy people or people who, you know, weren't white supremacists. They were there to protect uh, white supremacy. And, I don't know. That's, like, a full display and very important thing to note. Like, uh, I know there was a picture going around of this uh, black police officer, like, standing in front of a bunch of white supremacists and liberals were like, isn't that so incredible that, you know, this is what, like, our society is about? Like, this guy protecting these other people and their right to speak, even though they, like, hate him or whatever. And it's like, well, no, like, that's awful, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's such a good uh, analogy for thinking through people who think that, like, there's violence on both sides. Like, the co- like, um, if you think that there's violence on both sides and that both sides uh, need to be preserved and able to speak, um, like, you're doing what the cops did right there. Like, you're, like hold- like, propping up and protecting white supremacists. <laughs> yeah exactly um, on purpose <laughs> yeah right like give, giving people uh who uh i don't know just like want to murder people of color space to speak is a very bad plan
0: yeah and space to like intimidate other folks um you know like i know other people have talked about how at different protests and rallies like black lives matter protests um the cops are really quick to you know make arrests when they can and basically i don't know put it down as quick as possible whereas in this situation like cornell west says they just allowed it to escalate like he says you know they allowed citizens to go at each other like that's <laughs> that's not a uh, not a good picture of what liberals think police are for but a good picture of what police actually are
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's right uh well there's another cool thing going on here too um so there's this really interesting I guess like juxtaposition between anarchists and antifa and like clergy members where well, the clergy are there um, be, being like nonviolent, doing the thing that they do, singing, singing this little light of mine. That's nice. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, <clears throat> but, but they're only like uh, being protected by the anarchists uh, and the antifa who are like, uh, who are like, they're <laughs> not singing this little light of mine and being <laughs> uh, like actively protecting them. Uh, that's like a pretty interesting juxtaposition between people who are, uh, committed to nonviolence and to people who are committed to defense um right right so like uh i don't know how can we start parsing that out because that's like um that's the, the tension that's like always at the basis of um these episodes we do on violence between like <laughs> nonviolent christians and people who think that defense is necessary
0: yeah exactly yeah i mean it's tough because i think that uh pacifism as like a principle obviously mm-hmm. has a long history and christian thought and that's cool like that's a good thing i guess um like i have a lot of respect for pacifists um so i try not to like disparage them but at the same time um i think you it's naive to think that uh pacifist tactics and nonviolent tactics have ever succeeded without uh some kind of violent armed wing uh, somewhere else in the world <laughs> or like with them in one way or another like uh you know it would it's, there's a lot of work on how Martin Luther King Jr. probably wouldn't have made the gains that he did if it weren't for Malcolm X. Um, you know, you can say the same about Gandhi. Like there were tons of armed wings in India uh, ready to throw off British rule and Mar- Marxist um, wings specifically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know, I, it's it's telling that like these nonviolent examples get abstracted historically from their own successes. Uh, and this is a good way of showing how those two tactics work together, I guess, because. What's interesting about it is pacifism is a very good brand. Um, I mean, we keep yeah. talking about branding in this episode, <laughs> which is, I don't know, an underexamined thing, I guess, that I'm going to think about more <laughs> when we're done. <laughs> but uh, pacifism is a great brand because people don't like to say that nonviolent tactics are wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's what makes uh, this coalition so kind of important because uh, they can only be nonviolent by virtue of having that kind of protection. Otherwise, you know, who knows what would have happened, I guess. so.
2: Yeah, I think that there's something to be said. I think that I think that talking about this in terms of a coalition, a coalition of tactics is a pretty good idea, and maybe like a, a learning moment for moving forward. That like it is a very good brand to have people um, who uh, can be blameless in a situation, and right. then those people being protected uh, by people who are willing to use use violence in defense. Um, against white supremacists i don't know i mean like thinking of how that plays in the media it just like looks very good um yeah you can't um you can't discredit a leftist movement that has um people who are like unwilling to fight being protected by people who are willing to fight it's um it's a really good type of like visuality um, yeah and it's funny like media
0: even that language of blameless, right? It's like blameless in the eyes of people who watch it on television. Um, yeah. That's like a really important point, even though it's wrong. Like those people are not right, but uh, it doesn't really matter. That's just how yeah. it is.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know I've mentioned it before, but uh, there's a really great book from Repeater, Repeater Books um, by, uh, I think she's a political scientist. Her name's Christiana Spence, and she's a book called Shooting Hipsters. And it's about, uh, it is about um, like, protest movements and movements of dissent but from the perspective right. of public relations analysis uh <laughs> which is like super interesting right because public relations is supposed to be like a really uh, vacuous field uh that supports the capitalist class and uh, you know it is but um it it uh but thinking through like the optics of protest and visuality and how protest plays out with media is actually really important if you want to have a successful mass movement um, because um, mass media is such uh I mean, we're so post mass media, right? It's like, it's not something we even consider. Right. It's just part of our everyday life. So, uh, thinking through the ways that movements are televised and how they look is uh, essential, which, um, I don't know, adds, adds an annoying element of administration to planning protests, but I think is important nonetheless.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that's exactly right. And uh, it's, I, I don't know, like you study media, I study media. Uh, one reason that I got into media studies um, is because of the political questions that are contained therein. Um, and I think it's important for leftists to continue to think about that. I mean, there are actually a lot of organizers that are very intentional, I think, about understanding how the media operates, um, knowing yeah, you know, how to use it, how to take advantage of it, and all that kind of thing. And uh, in this case, this is just one more example of maybe how like religious people can... Um, participate in these kinds of media spectacles in a way that's good and builds like a, a good leftist kind of counter movement to the aesthetics of fascism or something.
2: Right. And don't get me wrong here either. I'm not saying that like, um, like me an academic, like I'm not telling them like how to handle protest situations. Yeah, yeah, of like they're, <laughs> are, they're already doing this. Like I'm just observing it, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we should say something to just about uh, Antifa generally. Um, just because I would suspect not everybody is familiar with it in the world or like still wrestling with it and trying to figure it out. Um, And they often like anti-fascists seems like it should be uh, an uncomplicated thing that you would like and appreciate. Yeah. Uh, Like, I don't know. Anti-fascists are good just by virtue of what they're called. Um, Right. But uh, I think it's important to talk about how like the violent tactics that are used by anti-fascists, um, we're kind of, I'm not saying anything I guess we haven't already said, but uh, it's combating a, a much deeper and more ingrained violence on the other side. like even if you're upset about violence or whatever um, or that's not your your bag like at the end of the day like white supremacy is uh, qualitatively different in terms of its violent tactics as opposed to antifa like their bodies you know their fists meeting Nazis faces in in space or something.
2: Yeah, uh qualitatively different. I mean their political programs are 100% different. Like one uh wants fascism and one doesn't, right? So uh it seems pretty <laughs> clear. Uh but it's weird how it's it's interesting because I think mainstream news sources have in the past and now even continue to try to mystify like the reason why is good. Yeah, that's um, right. Like uh I don't know. There there've been like lots of actually funny um funny retweets um of ah, shoot i can't remember the exact source but um it was like uh a brief history of anti and it's like did you know that they've been along they've been around as long as nazis it's like yes (laughs) actually i did (laughs) i could have guessed that um as long as there have been fascists there have been anti-fascists so i'm not surprised Yeah, and it was also like, who who is it that anti-fat is trying to fight against? It's like, well, it's in the name, my friend. So, <laughs> the
0: fat.
2: yeah, the fat. Who are these um, fat? Yeah, quick quick uh, side note shout out. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, the DSA has like apparently um, uh, an army of very good graphic designers, and yeah, uh, okay. there are so many good posters that the the DSA has uh, and uh, kind of unleashed at the uh, the protests. Uh, the counter protests in Charlottesville. There's one that's really good, that's my favorite, uh, that has a picture of like a cut up snake on it. <laughs> yeah, that was also <laughs> my favorite. And it says always anti fascist. So I'm gonna get that <laughs> and uh, get it printed out, put it on my office door. Uh, <laughs> like like anyone cares, I guess, but it'll make me feel very good.
0: <laughs> uh, that like just occurred to me, why aren't Christians uh, totally taking advantage of the symbolism of, you know, trotting down the snake when we talk about like uh, brutal right wing movements?
2: It's yeah, just there. I know right it's just waiting. It's just waiting. Uh it seems obvious to make that connection.
0: Yeah, I think so. St. George and the Dragon suddenly becomes like a really great leftist symbol. <laughs> yeah, no
2: kidding. Uh that should be a thing.
0: Alright. Uh graphic designers out there listening to this podcast, you can have that for free.
2: Uh it's yours, not trademarked. <laughs> that our trademark is giving you good ideas.
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh so don't do it because it's ours. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: but only that.
0: We will litigate on those grounds. If you give people good ideas, we're coming for you.
2: You're done. You're fired. (laughs) Uh,
0: So violent tactics and self-defense necessary. I think that makes sense for, for nonviolent resistance. um, That is like necessary in any case. Uh, But at the same time, like maybe we could talk about how liberating violence is like qualitatively different from white supremacy. We've been getting that, getting at that a little bit with respect to Antifa. Um, but let's talk. Let's just like pull the rug out of the idea that violence is wrong on both sides in every case. Uh, yeah. When it comes to comparisons between like white supremacy and Black Lives Matter, um, I mean, first of all, Black Lives Matter is not strictly a violent organization, so that comparison is dumb and racist already. Where, whereas um, white
2: supremacists, white supremacists, the alt right, is a, an explicitly uh, violent organization, right? Like, I mean, you have that. Yeah. That has to be said.
0: Yeah. Exactly. No matter whether or not they're like. Burning down property or punching people in the face, like uh, white they're, supremacy they're... is violent.
2: That's right. Their program is to is to like eliminate people of color. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how. It doesn't seem like that's again a controversial point, but for some, I suppose <laughs> it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, but maybe we could also talk about like, okay, Black Lives Matter is not strictly a violent organization, but there there are and have been and hopefully will be. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say that. Uh, armed struggles on the part of, you know, oppressed peoples in the world, not least in the United States. Um, And that kind of violence, uh, even when, you know, like a riot does end up burning down a bunch of stuff in a city block or something, like uh, there's something about that violence that's also qualitatively different than the violence that's happening in white supremacy. Um, So do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like here's an example. Um, During uh, the... Here, I'm not going to say, like, Ferguson riots. I'm going to say Ferguson uprising. I think that's probably a better way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, because ri- riots have this, like, really negative connotation. We can talk about that in a minute. But uh, during the those uh, situations in Ferguson, right, like, people were losing their mind that somebody set, like, a CVS on fire or something. Right. Right? Like, like uh, liberals wringing their hands and, like, fainting at the idea that someone would damage property is... Um, like the dumbest thing, and uh, it's a pretty common thing I guess for liberals to categorize property damage as violence, right? Um, which is which seems stupid as well because like it's not, um, or it, if it is, it's like a type of violence that is to a lesser intensity, right? Like right, um,
0: hardly comparable to other kinds of violence.
2: Hardly comparable to like the, um, I don't know, ongoing like suffering of everyday life
0: (laughs) yeah like the (laughs) breakdown of the cvs is not at all comparable to uh fearing for your life every time you get pulled over in a car or something (laughs) that's right
2: that's right there's a difference um of a very like an easy qualitative difference to make i i think i i don't know um again people don't like to see that liberals don't like to see that specifically because they love private property um but it seems uh pretty straightforward to me i think Um, you're right (laughs) i mean on that point though i mean i think like riots uprisings at large um are things that make make liberals nervous and make conservatives nervous too for probably good reason um but they are um not violent in the same qualitative way as um i think like the the ongoing and underlying regime of white supremacy in the united states like yeah um it might even be the case that like in an uprising, like what happened in Ferguson or, or in Baltimore or whatever, that might be like that's a of from violence. Right. Like that's a change in the regime of everyday violence where all of a sudden the people who are who are oppressed are now like liberated for a moment um, in the streets. I don't know. That's something to actually think through. Um, yeah, it's a it's a rupture yeah. in the fabric of uh, the structural violence of white supremacy.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, We mentioned this on another another episode a while back, but uh, there's even, um, like uh, Pope Francis says in one of his uh, exhortations or something, um, it's escaping me right now, but I'll put it in the show notes somewhere so people can find it. Uh, But even he says there, you know, Like, yeah, nonviolence, like, I hope that's what people are up to. But at the same time, um, you can't expect to continue massive structural violent patterns and not think that these kinds of things are going to happen naturally. Um, It's almost like uh, he treats it almost like a, a thing that you should just kind of not be surprised by, um, and what you would be more surprised by is just waiting around and thinking that everyone's going to be totally cool with like having their lives threatened every single day and having no economic prospects and you know watching all of their uh, communities get systematically demolished by people who hate them and tell them that they're they're wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's like a very good thing to say. Even like the Pope is nonviolent. He thinks nonviolence is great, but like he's willing to recognize that that's uh, a totally different situation.
2: It's, yeah, th- that's right. Um, that's a pretty like Marxist insight from the Pope too. I think that yeah, that he recognizes that like um, right, the structural violence uh that's bound up in our white supremacist capitalist society um will only will will sow its own seeds of like destruction in so- some ways. Like um, right. it'll it'll uh, start those things uh, off. I don't know, people will right. revolt against them.
0: Oh, it's a uh, Evangelii Gaudium. That's the name of the document, by the way. Yeah. For those of you that want to look sick, up. that's also <laughs> the
2: name of my uh, my Catholic black metal band.
0: <laughs> it's actually the name of my uh, my new Gundam that I bought. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, sick, great.
0: Even jelly Gundam. That's uh, that's my new into <laughs> My, my uh, new tiny letter.
2: I mean, someone's got to protect the Earth from uh, whoever the bad guys are in Gundam Wing. <laughs>
0: it's also i think just important to connect those sites of struggle to um other like historical sites of struggle as though it's not uh like an isolated incident and that's oh, something yeah. that i learned uh from a book that you told me to read uh, <laughs> by uh, like your ma supervisor richard gilman opalski uh, yeah that's right i'll just let you talk about it because it's uh, it's your jam
2: it is my jam so, there's this book. Uh, we mentioned it before on the show. It's called Specters of Revolt. It's very good. It's the newest book from Richard Gilman Opalsky. You could go buy it and read it. It's also from Repeater Books. Shout out to Repeater Books. You guys should... Uh, we're, we're not like doing any sort of like native advertising for them, but maybe we should be. Um, uh,
0: I would take it. If they're going to pay us to do it, we're already doing for free. That's fine. Yeah,
2: that would be nice. I think if they <laughs> would even just pay us in free books, I think I would do it. <laughs> so, you guys, if you're listening... Get at us. Uh, okay. Anyway, so this is book "Specters of Revolt." Um, there is a great chapter in it, and we'll post a we'll post a link to it in our show notes because there's an excerpt online where you can read it. Um, the chapter that is, I think, of uh, direct relevance here is called "The Ferguson Revolt Did Not Take Place," which is uh, I don't know a fun a fun baudrillardian turn. Um, if that is something that makes sense to you, you'll get the joke. If not, you're not missing anything. Um, I don't know. I like Baudrillard, but come on, you don't need to read it. It's fine. Uh, Anyways, the point of the chapter is um, to talk about violence and uh, talk about revolt as like a sort of philosophical event. But uh, it's couched in this larger um, framework that suggests, um, well, that critiques the way that um, news media reports on um, in terms of like, well, the Ferguson revolt took place between the dates, I don't know, x and y right and the baltimore revolts took place during the dates x and y and um and like that that these revolts have a discrete beginning and ending and it's an important note to make that that is not the case because um there are all types of subterranean rhizomatic uh sort of connections that are underlying these revolts right that revolts don't come out of nowhere um they are hard to predict. For sure like when they will happen but uh they just but they do just happen and that they are interconnected it's not like the the struggle in baltimore is um is different entirely from the struggle in ferguson or or the struggle in charlottesville is unconnected from the the events of ferguson or baltimore right like these things are right um are connected um rhizomatically, i guess um,
0: yeah, and they they're connected precisely because there's not like an X and Y date, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Kinds of things that kind of bubble up and then simmer back down for a while.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Weird, huh? So, um, anyways, the the um, the attempt to sort of uh, relegate these movements to specific times and places, I think, is um, is a mistake, uh, a taxonomical a taxonomical mistake by mainstream media to obfuscate the larger questions being raised by these um protests
0: yeah also one thing i really liked about the way gilman napolsky deals with this and i was looking at this again um today uh he talks about violence um in throughout that that chapter in really interesting ways but one thing that really kind of stuck with me um there's one point where he says everyday violence Uh, Indeed, And one which it is necessary to confront as an overwhelmingly racist violence. Like, he's naming that as a a significant problem. Um, And then he quotes a cool thing from Angela Davis. Uh, But at the very end, he says, uh, In light of this everyday violence, which is, of course, not the only form of violence, revolt is patient, revolt is kind. Revolt may even appear too moderate, too restrained, and too peaceable. Uh, And that... I don't know. It really like turned some of my, my brain gears going in a good way, yeah. I think, um, gives, because gives it is the, like that. the chills. Yeah, exactly. Like revolt is extremely patient. Um, I mean, people have to wait a very long time to finally get ready to do something. And then even then, like there, the fact that we don't, we haven't toppled white supremacy by virtue of all these other movements shows that it is too restrained. Like it is too peaceable, too moderate. Um, and what's absurd is, uh, it's those kinds of revolts that um, people complain about as being too violent, uh, right? Like that yeah. thing in the media, or sus- or are even uh, suspicious that they're being violent a priori, just by virtue of the fact that they're standing in the street where they're not where they don't belong or something.
2: Right, but rather it's like they've suffered violence for so long. Like this is uh, this is them waiting. This is uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. Uh, I really. Um, speaking of patience, I have less and less patience for um, like liberals who don't understand structural violence in this way. Yeah, uh, be, because like if if you're wringing your hand of, hands about protesters using violence and you're not recognizing like the own like the violence that you perpetuate and the and the violence that you live in, um, I don't know, you're missing the point. Yeah, you're, you're and doing not really more that, harm you're, than good.
0: You're doing the violence, like you're allowing That's it right. to happen and contributing to it. <laughs>
2: that's right yeah
0: yeah it's ironic to say that like people who bring their hands over violence on both sides are in fact um contributing to the most overwhelming systemic violence that there is to contribute to um like yeah i think violent so action
2: yeah absolutely
0: which like in case it needs to be said again like i don't think violence is bad i just think you need to do it right like be on the right side of violence like commit violence against bad violence
2: <laughs> yeah i mean like uh Violence is always uh, uh, okay. Here's like a like a dissertation or a master's thesis that someone can write out there. So here's a good idea. Brace yourself. Get your notepads ready. Violence is a tech uh, technology, and it is not neutral, right? Like violence uh, can be used in different situations, but uh, the ways that it is performed are not neutral. Um, so yeah, right. uh, if you if you do violence with the intent uh, for the protection of people who are oppressed and If you do violence, um, like with the intent for self-determination of people, like, yeah, I don't know. That's probably good. Like it's, it's at least, (laughs) at least can be justified, right? Like maybe not good, but it can be justified. And I think that is essential.
0: So I guess like, if you're still not convinced about violence here, um, if you're still wrong, that is. <laughs> uh, we could we could at least say something about like the right kind of pacifism or the right kind of like yeah. nonviolence. Um, so I was thinking about this because I've got I own exactly one book by John Howard Yoder, uh, and if you don't know who John Howard Yoder is, he is a Mennonite pacifist theologian. Um, also, footnote like there's a lot of weird stuff about him sexually abusing his students, which is important I think to mention when people talk about Yoder. <laughs> uh but we're gonna we're gonna just bracket that real quick um rightly wrongly uh and talk about uh what he has to say about pacifism in the context of revolution so i have this book uh that is just called christian attitudes to um war peace and revolution and it's a series of lecture notes uh that he gave and at the end he ends up talking a lot about um liberation theology its development and the dialogue between like leftism marxism in particular and christians uh and like he's obviously not convinced uh, (laughs) that they're right because he's still a pacifist theologian uh but one thing i really thought was good in that uh in his discussion is he ends up talking about how uh liberation theologians have definitely picked up on systemic violence in an important way And he says, like, any pacifist kind of worth their salt is going to find ways to build coalitions with violent Christians by virtue of understanding that even though they disagree on that tactic or whatever, um, pacifists kind of have no right to, like, um, tell oppressed people what to do, I guess. And uh, I think that is a pretty good, important point. Like, if you're going to be a pacifist, at least be one like that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's... uh pretty profound uh yeah i mean uh we kind of see this sort of thing play out with the clergy in cornell west um and their relationship to the like to antifat and to uh the anarchists and the other folks that are out there defending uh defending them against white nationalists right it's like that type of coalition that's right there in front of us
0: yeah exactly um Uh,
2: so so yoder is right on this this idea that there should be a coalition but he is super wrong about his analysis of violence (laughs) like that's where (laughs) i have to get off Uh, off that train but like i I don't know i think i think that uh that's fine like um clergy members uh should show up and if they feel led to be like to be nonviolent, they should and then they should also be very thankful that there are going to be um anti-fascist protesters there to protect them
0: (laughs) that's right yeah and this is something i think you see even in you know some of the foremost like pacifist people and theorists like uh Like, people always pull up the example of someone like, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Who, like, really wrestled with the problem of violence and, like, basically thought of himself as, like, a pacifist, nonviolent person, but still plotted to kill Hitler because, like, how could you not? Um, Like, he wrestled through that problem. Um, And then people like Martin Luther King Jr., right? Like, uh, there's a famous quote where he says, like, he would never condemn riots because riots are the language of the unheard. Um, And I think it's important for pacifists in particular to remember that, uh... It's not like a moral high ground on which you can just sort of put down other people. That's yeah. like basically the the liberal game, I guess. Yeah. Um, but like an, an engaged pacifism understands and recognizes uh, why violence happens and understands that it's not actually all the same.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, if uh, an engaged pacifism, I think is like the key there, right? Like if you're there willing to work with people right. who are being violent, then like, I think good. If you're like, um, if you're uh, a pacifist who's uh, chilling on uh, the Christianity subreddit talking about how bad violence is, then you're really serving, <laughs> like, you're serving liberalism, you're serving white supremacy. Um, so, uh, yeah, engaged pacifism is something I could hang with, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, a, you know, there's a place for it, I guess, in the struggle. I, maybe that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, um, yeah, like, absolutely. There is a, there's a huge place for nonviolent pacifist tactics, Um And uh, that place is alongside other ones, basically.
2: (laughs) That's right. So at the end of the day, I think that pacifism is obviously insufficient, as Charlottesville demonstrated, and as Amaria cautions us uh, at the beginning of this uh, episode, conversation thing. Uh, But if you uh, can't seem to get over Yoder, um, and you can't get over nonviolence as an important tactic, uh, uh, here at least, uh, it's important to note that uh, pacifists can't tell oppressed uh, folks how to liberate themselves, that's for sure. But they mm-hmm. can show up. They can show up and be on the side of uh, the people who are right, and that's very good. Uh, yeah. That's something to consider. Um, okay, uh, so maybe that's where we can just kind of leave this conversation off, and we'll probably pick it up again a thousand more times in the life of this podcast. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll stop here then and just... Uh, just kind of give a, a plea for a more creative Christian leftist solution to white supremacy. Uh, that's more than just like, uh, I don't know. Um,
0: making a Facebook status. Uh,
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so let's get more creative about it. <laughs> let's find solutions uh, and ways to struggle against white supremacy. And, um, let's do that. Let's do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Magnificast. Uh, if you don't already, you should follow us on Twitter, uh, like our Facebook page, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. God, do do that. Leave us a review, and we'll we'll uh, probably talk about it on a future episode. Um, you can also support us on Patreon, which is something that we really um, really appreciate. Uh, this month, all of the Patreon money is going to go towards um, like the medical funds of the people uh, injured in the Charlottesville uh, attack. So, uh, I don't know, you can give us your money to give to somebody else, I suppose. Uh, but it also helps support this podcast and uh, pay our hosting, hosting bills. Um, so that's really nice. Uh, we'd love your support. All right. Thanks for listening. I don't want to get up at church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive.